We are um, continuing our series through the book of Acts. Um, for those of you that were here last Sunday and uh, decided to come back, you're pretty, pretty bold, pretty courageous. I'm glad you're back. Um, because we are dealing with actually some fundamental things, fundamental things about Christianity and Christian life that's in some ways caused Christianity and Christian life to be sort of an irrelevant thing in our culture today, you know. So if you are not a Christian here, I'm so glad that you're here because I'm hoping that you'll get to learn about what the Christian faith is supposed to be and what the church was supposed to be according to God's word. But for those of us that that claim to be Christian and claim to be a part of this church, uh, there are tough challenges ahead. There are tough challenges ahead. We've got to deconstruct some things in order to reconstruct some things back, if that makes any sense. Um, Open your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, because right in verse 1 and 2, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the the author Luke sort of lays out the theme for us, okay, lays out the theme for us. Today, I'm going to talk a lot to you guys, and I need you guys to talk back to me, okay? I'm realizing that's how I need to go through this deal, because... uh, I don't know, how many of y'all were here 11 o'clock last Sunday? Can you raise your hand? Okay. Most times it's consistent, you know, and I tell you, uh, you 11 o'clock, you, you guys like poker face. I can't tell if you're like resonating with things, if you're not, you know. Like I wouldn't be surprised if you just, and then you walk out and you're like, what you think about what he said, you know, or, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's you, but, but um you guys are having a hard time, so I'm going to force you to talk this morning, and you'll see what I mean. Okay, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, okay? If you're new and you're going, you're going what's this series about, where are we going, you, you'll find out in a moment. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Uh, background information real quick. Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. What was he by profession? He was a, a doctor. Who did he write the letter to? Theophilus, and what was Theophilus, what was he about? He was a Roman official who was a recent convert to Christianity. So he's writing to tell Theophilus about some essential things about Christianity. Now, the, the, the book of Acts is a two-part book. The first part actually is the book of Luke, the author that wrote book of Acts. And he's literally saying this is a two-part movie. Like you can't just watch part one or part two and figure out what the other part is. You have to have both parts of the movie together. So what we're doing is looking at part two of this movie, but we're going to continue to flash back. Ha! And say that's funny. Flash back to the part one of the movie, book of Luke, to gain some more insight about what it is that Luke's trying to say. He lays out his purpose right here when he says that I am writing this book because in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do. Meaning the book of Acts then is about Jesus continues to do. So Luke's laying this out and he's saying book of Luke was about what Jesus began to do while here on earth personally. But book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do from heaven via his representatives. That is you and me, the church here on earth. So both books are about Jesus. Book of Luke is about Jesus personally doing ministry and revealing who he was. But the book of Acts, and this like freaks me out because the book of Acts is about a group of people who are called by Christ to follow him that are to be a tangible, physical, visible representation of him here on earth. Hello. I don't know about you, man, but that's like, whoa, for me. You know what I mean? Do you ever think about the church that way? Do you ever think about your life that way? That, that you and I have an identity and a mission, and that is that when the watching world looks real close up to us, let me put it this way. If you made a list of what you think you're like, and then I asked your coworker, your roommate, your family members, what do you think he is like or she is like? Would those two lists match? Is what you think of yourself, does that match what your coworkers think of you or your roommates or your family or your husband or your wife? What about the church? And this is crazy. If the churches in America, and I'm going to pick on churches in America this morning because churches in America, we, us included, we have issues when you deal with. If churches in America wrote down a list of what they think they're like and they asked their communities, what do you think the church is like? Would those two lists match? So you and I have an identity and a mission, right? And that is that we individually and corporately reflect the one personality of Jesus. What was Jesus like? If you got up real close to him, what was he like? Do people see that in us? 
But we also have a purpose, a mission, and that is to continue the purpose, continue the ministry of Jesus here on earth in such a way that, such a way that everything that Jesus did, we are to do here on earth. There is to be this continuity between Jesus and us, the church. Uh, I don't know. How, how does it make you feel? What is feeling word this morning? Let's do Oprah moment. How does it make you feel? <laughs> how does it make you feel that this is, uh, this is what our identity, our mission is, individual, corporately, that we're to be Jesus? How are we doing? It's intimidating. Yeah, it's intimidating. It's intimidating because you realize more than just playing church, right? More than just gathering for meetings, singing some songs, listening to What's that? It's challenging. Yeah, it is challenging. It's really challenging. But you guys, so the paradigm shift, look, this morning I'm going to do a lot of paradigm shifts, okay? Paradigm shifting thought statements because, because these are the things that I think we need to wrestle with. Here's the first paradigm shift, okay? That is that the church doesn't exist for you, that you are the church existing for the world. You know what this means? This means that when you're looking for a church, your priority shouldn't be, what do I think of the sermon? What do I think of the worship? What do I think of the people? Because you're buying into the whole, the church exists for me. And the Bible says, church isn't some entity out there, a building, an address that you go to and you attend. And you're the church. You. Me, us, we are the church. Existing for the world. But for many of us, when the conversation is no longer about, I know, I'm picking on some of you guys this morning, because you're suddenly going, that's the reason why I come to this church. And yet the Bible says, hey, somehow a paradigm shift has take place because you're the church. You, you are Jesus. I, do you see how far we've come from what scripture says about what a church is? Because we live in a society where the church doesn't cater to our needs, meet our needs. We check out. The church is the only entity in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We exist for the benefit of non-members. Can I just stop right? If you're... If you're sitting there as a Christian going, my life, Christian life, likes passion, likes energy, any joy, my focus, go, I'm just kind of going about the day. To, that's because this paradigm shift has not occurred in your heart and in your soul. Church is not some place you go to. It's not a building. It's not an ad. You are it. So how about this? How about if we were evaluating new community as a church? We wouldn't evaluate this church based on how's the pastor's sermon or how's the worship or how's the smoke. What about if we were biblical and we, (laughs) what about we evaluate how this church is based on you? I know, that's just not popular to say. I just... You know, because just then they go, well, don't shift the blame to us because if you're doing your job, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. You are the church. You're the church. So whether we're being effective or not, the question is, how are you doing? (laughs) Uh, This is, you know, I just... uh, I guess I'm overwhelmed because I realize, like, we have such a long way to go. Like, because we, 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 we live and breathe a culture that reinforces it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. So when I say some harsh things, as I will throughout today, there's a part of you that gets getting really angry going, why are you picking on me? Why are you saying all these things about me? And I'm going, it's Jesus. You are the church. The church doesn't exist for you. Anybody offended by that idea? Anybody offended by that idea? Anybody 
And watch this. Anybody going, you know what? If I knew back then when I decided to be a follower of Jesus, this now, I probably may not have become a Christian. I'm going to say this reoccurring phrase over and over again. The Christian life is this. You ready? You're either all in or you're not in it at all. You're either all in. I'm not talking about we all struggle, we all, you know, and we, of course, there's growth, there's transformation, but I'm telling you, the fundamental starting point is Christian life, either you're all in or you're not in it at all. Does that offend anybody? Why is this sermon titled Church Without Walls? Because it's a biblical concept, you guys. Church is not a building with walls. It's not a place. It's not an address. You are the church. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You are to be the tangible expression of Jesus here on earth, wherever we are. What was your name again? Matt. Matt. I, you know, Matt and I have been connected. I, you threw me off last Sunday, man, because, like, you shaved your head, dude. I was like, whoa. Yeah, you shaved your head. Matt came up to me. Like, he's back from, he's a student at Columbia. He came up to me and. I forget when it was, back when someone real excited about the church, blah, blah, blah. I asked him, what do you do? He's in theater, act, acting. And, and actually, his passion is in stand-up comedy. I love that, you know? I love stand-up comedians, first of all. You know, I have like a, like, anyway. So, I, I, so when I heard him, here's the reason why I got really excited. Though. Listen, listen, here's the reason why I got really excited. Because I thought, you know what? Matt has the ability to be Jesus, be the church to a group of people that I will never, ever get to reach. A group of people who may never set their foot inside of doors of a church. And yet, with this amazing gift that God's given him to, to, to communicate humor. Because God is funny. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? So what if, and you, 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 you have a mission to be Jesus. You have a mission. You have a mission. You, I'm going to go through everybody. You have a mission. <laughs> Do you get that? We have a mission. Amen? We have a mission. That's the church. This Sakurai, this is, this is the building. This, this, that, you know, we can meet outside, pitch a tent for crying out loud. The church. Second paradigm shift. Second paradigm shift we talked about last week. Verse 2. And, and that is that he, until the, he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles. We talked about um, uh, uh, this, this thing of Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, if you had never been to our church and you had never heard sermons on Holy Spirit, it was like, a, it was like drinking out of a fire hydrant. <laughs> well, I felt that way. I felt like it was like a fire hydrant. People are going... You know, it's a, it's a little overwhelming because Holy Spirit is a very important person, third person of the Trinity that occurs throughout the book of Acts. And here's all I need you to remember. If you're overwhelmed last week, you need a clarification because we're going to come back to this again and again. The primary role of the Holy Spirit is not to zap you, but it's to glorify Jesus. Okay? So take out of your mind, the, the, some of us, you know, the, this, this picture of an evangelist, you know, who's like waving his coat, you know, and a, and a line of people are, are, are just coming and just, you know, just being slain in the spirit and all that stuff. I've been in some settings like that. And I have to humble myself and say, God could work in any ways. Who am I to go, well, that's fake, that's not. I, God can work in any ways. What I do know is that the Bible says that's not the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's to zap you. The primary ministry of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. That is to make alive in our hearts, make electric in our hearts, make real in our hearts, make vivid in our hearts the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit doesn't shine a light on himself and go, look at me. The Holy Spirit is like that light that shines on Jesus and says, look at him. Look at him. Now, why is it important? Here's how practically it plays out. Throughout the book of Acts, we see people that were incredibly bold. I mean, in the face of persecution, in the face of being thrown to the lions, they were bold. And when people said, shut up with that Jesus stuff, people said, I cannot shut up with that Jesus stuff. And I thought about it. I'm like, why aren't we more bold? Why am I not more bold? You know, why do I get uncomfortable? This is so embarrassing. Can I, why do I get uncomfortable when I'm at Starbucks and I've got my Bible sprawled out there, commentary sprawled out there, and I'm studying, you know, and somebody just kind of ventures over and, you know, just kind of, and they got that look on their face like, oh, he must be a Christian, you know, that, that type of thing. Why is it that I don't get more excited? Why, do I, why is it I don't get more like, ask me, 
ask me. You know, why do I, why do I, this is so embarrassing for a pastor to admit, but why do I, why do I do that? I'll tell you why. Honestly, it's because I care more about what they think and what they'll say than about what God thinks and what God will say. Truthfully, I fear man more than I fear God. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? Holy Spirit comes and says, you have the only verdict that really matters from the creator of the world who says, I love you. You are secure. You have nothing to be afraid of. You are embraced. You are a child of God. If God is for you, who is against you? If I really believe that and that came alive in me, I would be more bold. That's why the disciples, early disciples were bold, not because they were zapped by the Holy Spirit and robotically they just went and proclaimed. Because No, it's because the gospel became so real to them and it helps if you see, you know, somebody was dead for three days and he's alive again, you know. <laughs> but you see, that's the job of the Holy Spirit is to say, that truth, that truth, it's coming alive in you, Mark. It's coming alive in you, Aubrey. Does that make sense? And we're going to see that over and over again. So I'm trying to take out the whole freaky nature of the Holy Spirit and say, he's just a person. He lives inside of you. And he's just affirming, embracing, making alive who Jesus is and what he has done. Okay. Let's go on to verse 3, shall we? We're preaching verse by verse. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about, what did he speak about? Say it, interaction. What did he speak about? The kingdom of God. Now, you guys, that shouldn't surprise us, okay? That 40 days Jesus spends with them, number one, he makes sure that they knew that he was alive. They knew that he was alive. By the way, this is one of the reasons why they were bold, you know? I mean, if you see somebody dead for three days after being hung on a cross, and you see them, like, alive, and they're eating stuff, they're drinking stuff, they're hanging out with you for 40 days, you're going, well, maybe that would help me a lot, too. Now, watch this. Remember what I talked about the Holy Spirit? That's the Holy Spirit's job, is to make that just as real to you as it was to the disciples. Of course you're sitting there going, I have a hard time believing. Of course you have a hard time believing. Well, it's going to take a miracle. Of course it's going to take a miracle. Well, somebody else has to do it for me. Of course somebody else has to do it for you. And his name is the Holy Spirit. Why do you think, he, why do you think the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? Because he's got no place to go? <laughs> he lives inside of us too. To, to, to do this ministry. Anyway, so he talks about the kingdom of God. And it shouldn't surprise us that he talked about the kingdom of God because that was Jesus' favorite topic in the Gospels. You take out the kingdom, and you're not left with much in terms of what Jesus talked about. So here's Oprah, interaction moment. What is the kingdom of God? Some of you guys have been to church, you've never heard this. Some of you, this is review. What is the kingdom of God? Talk to me. Well, I'm going to start picking out people. What is the kingdom of God? Don't worry, there are no wrong answers. Huh? Say that one more time. Kingdom within. Yes, okay, kingdom within, okay. So there's a withinness of the kingdom. It's not just out there, it's okay. Anybody else? Ultimate reign of Jesus as king over us. You're a good little Bible girl, aren't you? The ultimate reign of Jesus all over us. Well, I can't say it any better. But anyway, we'll, we'll continue. The ultimate reign of Jesus. And he says, okay, over us. Anybody else? Kingdom of God. What do you think of? Yeah. Restored earth. Restored earth. Yes. Shalom. Okay. Shalom. This is amazing. We're almost hearing identical. Th- yes. Fixing brokenness. Oh, man, this is so good. This is so good. Anybody else? Kingdom of God. It should be the church. Huh. Okay. It should be the church. Here's my humble definition of what I think the kingdom of God is when you take into consideration everything the Bible says. You ready? The kingdom of God is a renewal of all creation. Say this with me. Ready? The kingdom of God is the renewal of all creation by the reentry of God's ruling power through Christ's death and resurrection. Kingdom of God. So here's what the kingdom of God is not. How many of you guys have seen the movie Hero with Jet Li? 
So if you can get, if you can stomach his acting, okay, and see the, see the, put him in an action flick where he kicks butt, he's phenomenal, okay? Put him in an area where he needs to act, I'm sorry, but he's not, he's no Jackie Chan, right? Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> um, they're my brothers, they're Asian, okay, but anyway. Um, the movie Hero, the movie Hero is essentially about the first emperor who brought all these kingdoms, essentially land territory together, and then built the Great Wall to protect it. The kingdom of God is not geography. It's not land. It's not territory. Here's what the kingdom of God is also not. The kingdom of God is also not people. Some people think kingdom of God are the subjects or the people that the king rules. The kingdom of God is not a group of people, subjects. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. So the kingdom of God doesn't speak about God's ruling place, not geography location, but God's ruling power. It's not talking about God's realm, but rather God's reign. Now, you guys, everybody, pay att- look up here. Here's the end goal of all history. Here's what's going to happen at the very end. You're not going to go to heaven. I'm sorry to break that bad news to some of you. You're going, I'm waiting for that day when I can go to heaven. The end goal of all things is not that you go to heaven. Sorry. The end goal is that God is going to establish his rule and his reign on earth. I'm just going to let that kind of... So the whole, I'm forgiven of my sins, I'm going to live a good life, and then when I die, I get to go to heaven. What is that all about? I'm sorry. The end time of all things is that God established his rule and his reign. Let me show you. Let me show you biblically, okay? Because almost no passage talks about us going to heaven, but lots of passages talk about things like this. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. End goal, everything on heaven and earth will bow to the rule and reign of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10. He will bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The end goal is that God is going to establish once and for his rule, his reign over all things. And the result of that, watch this, result of that is there will be renewal and restoration of all creation. That's why the end times in Revelation, what you see is not us being whizzed to heaven. The end times is a new heaven and a new earth coming down to this earth and God ruling and reigning over that. Anybody like utterly confused right now? Anybody excited? You're confused. I'm sorry. I know. I know. You're honest with me. This. But here's the thing. Heaven, heaven is not what we think it is. Man, I, I'm going, I'm digging a hole right now. You're going, oh man, because I don't have time to go into this. You know what? Come talk to me after, okay? Because I, I, I'll go and explain this to you. The end goal of all things is that God is going to establish his rule and his reign of all creation. And there's going to be restoration and renewal of all creation. Listen, Jesus' resurrection was not, literal physical bodily resurrection was not so that he can go, woohoo, isn't that cool? I'm God. Look at that. The resurrection of Jesus was, listen, him culminating that work that he began when he came to earth of defeating Satan, sin, and death once and for all and establishing his rule and his reign here on earth. When he cast out demons, it wasn't just to go, I'm Jesus, I'm God, and they're cool. When he cast out demons, it was to say a preview of the kingdom when Satan will be defeated once and for all. Walking on water, turning water into wine. Oh, isn't that cool? Jesus saying, there will come a time when I will rule and reign over all facets of creation. Healing the sick. Glimpse of the preview. Not just, oh, I'm cool, Jesus. Healing the sick. There will come a day when there will be full restoration and healing of all things so that there will be no more sickness and there will be no more death. So where do we go when we die? And if Jesus isn't done this yet in the second coming, that's what we call, quote-unquote, heaven. 
And I don't know where that place is and what that looks like. All I do know is that at the end, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back with the new heavens and a new earth, restoring everything. Now, why is it important? There's a cosmic uh, implication and an individual implication. The cosmic implication is this world matters to God. He's not going to abandon this. I'm not going to rip on my Christian brothers and sisters, but I'm going to rip on my Christian brothers and sisters. I said this last week. I hate that left behind series garbage. I'll tell you why. Theologically, you can make an argument for rapture. Jesus is going to come. We're going to be whisked away. But you know what it's done? It's cost Christians to go, this world is going to hell and it's going to get burned up and abandoned. So who cares? I'm just going to be a good moral person so that I can go to heaven. Do you realize that if you understand the kingdom of God, he says every single work that you do to eradicate this world of injustice, evil, sickness, poverty, God is going to come back and finish the job. So what you do matters. Hello. Everything that you do matters. So when you fight injustice, you're giving a preview of the kingdom to come when there will be justice under this kingdom and under this reign. When you give your life sacrificially to the poor and you pour out everything that you have, listen, can I just put it this way? If the end goal of all things is that you and I get whisked to heaven and this world is going to get burned up, what motivation can you possibly have to make a difference in this world right now? What, what motivation is there? So we can earn brownie points when we get to heaven so God can say, good job? Which is religion, religion, religion. Where's the motivation come to say, I will fight injustice. I will give myself to the poor. I will give my life in sacrificial service to rid this world of evil and justice and everything that affects it. Because this work is not going to be wasted. This work God is going to complete and finish when he comes back. And when you believe that, you, you can't stand next to injustice and hurting people and just go, oh, well, hope you know Jesus because, you know, after I'm, you will look at them and go, what can I do to make a difference here and now because this isn't going to be wasted. God is going to finish this work. Talk to me. Talk to me here. Well, what do you think about that? What do you think? Is it crazy talk? No? to me here it makes sense it it does to me Matt you know it it does make sense to me it really does otherwise I don't know why I would get up in the morning and be missional and make a difference in this world what's the purpose so I could earn enough brown points go to heaven I don't know I'm not a big motivator anybody else anybody else what do you think Okay, um, cosmically, okay, I'm going to just kind of chew your kind of thought processes, okay? Here's the individual implications. Oh, no, boy, this is a big, okay, this is a big one. Individually, what does kingdom theology, what does kingdom framework really have, have for us? Oh, well, for, there's a word of encouragement and, and a word of challenge for us, okay? I love the fact that somebody said there's healing, there's restoration, because listen, if the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is present and his rule and reign is, is in you, the Bible says the kingdom of God has not only come, but it has come upon you. Jesus' words, it has come upon you. If the kingdom of God is upon us and the rule and reign of God is here and the effects of the rule and reign of God is that there's restoration, a healing of all creation. When the rule and reign of God invades your life, there's also healing and restoration in your life. Okay? Check this out. Life transformation and change doesn't come because, you know, you become a Christian, sort of like, you become a Christian and then, I don't know, God just somehow does work. No, the, the transformation comes in our lives because the same kingdom of God that is here in this world, rule and reign, is also coming into us. And just as he's restoring all of creation, when the rule and reign of God comes to us, he is healing and restoring us. You know what that means? That means that there is no mess that's beyond God's hope. Amen. For crying out loud, if God can raise a dead person in three days... I don't know. Is your mess compared to that? If the rule and reign of God's coming into your life, there's no mess beyond hope. There's no addiction beyond hope. There's no sin beyond hope. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? 
I've got Mark, my one-man cheering section again. I emailed him this asking, I'm like, thank you for being my one-man cheering section. He's so excited. He's, he's here for, a, you're attending both services. Why? Oh, you're doing tech. Okay. <laughs> Man, I can't even listen to me for two times in a row. You know what I mean? You guys, the kingdom of God. So I don't care who you are. If you are somebody sitting here and you've always heard Christ transforms and you couldn't make the connection. Here's the connection. The kingdom of God that came, healed the sick, cast out demons, brought about healing and restoration. That same kingdom, the Bible says, has come upon you, the rule and reign of God. And anything under the rule and reign of God, healing, restoration. Word of encouragement. Word of challenge. Oh, boy. Okay. Word of challenge. It's going to radically redefine what it means for some of us to be a Christian. Okay? Here's why. Here's why. Christianity, if you're not a Christian, it's really annoying, actually. It's an annoying faith. Because here's the thing. Unlike other religions, Christianity says, the God of history has acted in history, intervened in human history, to bring about this transformation and change by establishing his rule and his reign. Do you know what that means? That means everything in the universe has been reordered. The nature of everything in the universe has changed. It's not just a set of belief system. Everything in the universe, his rule and his reign. You know what that means? That means that there is a call to every single individual on earth, whether you're a Christian or not, to forego allegiance to the systems of the world and to give allegiance to the one who proclaims himself as king and as lord. That means that there's a challenge that goes out to any, any human being on earth, whether you're Christian or not, that says forego allegiance to the systems of gods of the world and give your allegiance, your loyalty, your values, everything changes about you. How you use your money, how you use your sexuality, everything about you changes because God has changed the order of the universe by establishing his rule and his reign. You know what that means? That means for many of us, Christianity doesn't make any sense right now. And we're mad at God. Here's the reason why. Paradigm shift. Jesus doesn't want to help you be a better king. He doesn't want to be in your kingdom at all. Some of you are going, I I don't want to be a king. I'm not a king. Yes, you are. That's why you're frustrated with God. You're saying, I don't like the way you're running the universe. That's why you're mad about that thing that happened, relationship, school, work, or this thing, that. You're saying, when I became a Christian, my expectations were, Jesus, you take your little self and you transfer yourself into my kingdom where I reign as king. And you're frustrated right now because God just isn't behaving the way you want him to. Some of you guys are asking questions to God and he's not giving you answers and you're frustrated. My question is, are you asking questions or are you giving God orders? Because if you're giving God orders, why are you expecting an answer when no question has been asked? And can we just be honest? Do you want to worship and give your entire life to some deity that bows to your agenda? I don't know about you. I don't want to waste my time with some God who says, I exist for thee. I don't want to waste my time with some God who says, your wishes are my command. Or is it your commands are my... Well, you guys know what I mean. (laughs) The Christian life is not one in which I get saved, my kingdom never changes, you come into my kingdom, you do as I say, self-reproven, be an example, helper. And the rest of my life, my goals, my priorities, my value system never changes. And Jesus comes back and I go to heaven. Two, you've entered the kingdom of God that says, you no longer reign over your own little life. It was never meant to work that way. How many of y'all are struggling with this right now? Can you just be Raise your hand high. Okay. This is like the daily struggle for me every day of my life. This is the battle of the Christian life, don't you see? It's not, you know, Christian life is not about, as I said this before, the goal of the Christian life is not to stop sinning. The goal of the Christian life is to start worshiping him as king. What would you say, Phil? 
That's deep? I don't know if it's very deep. Christian life, you either all in, he's your king, or you stop. Do you see why I said that? Because there's this thing as, I kind of will follow you and give allegiance to you when I feel like it, king, but otherwise I'm going to rule my own kingdom. It doesn't work that way. This doesn't mean, again, that we don't struggle and we have issues, but the struggle and the issues ultimately get to this heart of who rules and reigns in your life, you or Jesus? You or Jesus? Emmy, I haven't forgotten about you. I'm sorry. So you or Jesus? Why is this so hard? Let's just be honest, you guys. Somebody talk. Why is this so hard for us? Why is this so hard? We're stuck on selfishness. Okay, anybody else? We don't trust God knows what he's doing. Anybody else? Too hard. What's that? It's hard to be a humble servant. Emily says it's too hard. Anybody else? We're afraid. Because in our minds, when we think of God as king, we think authority. We think big, great, scary. We, this is a God. Who did this for you? What king would do this? What king would do this for his subjects except Jesus? Do you know why I continue to get you guys back to the cross? You're thinking, I'm sick of you here. Talk about how God loves us and how sacrifice cross. Because the Christian life is a balance, you guys, of him saying, Give your all because I gave my all. So when you're afraid to say, scary God king, he's going to authoritative, you got to go back to the cross where this king says, humble king says, this humble king dies on behalf of his subjects. Here's why we need to make this transition. If you don't make this transition to kingdom theology, you and I are going to be strong on religious talk, but very weak on kingdom ethics. If you don't understand, and I don't understand the kingdom of God theology, we will continue to act on the basis of how I'm feeling today rather than what the truth of God calls us to. If you don't understand this kingdom theology, you're going to be the Christian who will always want to give up when things get hard, Stop following Jesus when it's no longer comfortable and unable to endure in the face of trials and difficulties. Who is your king? Verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys get all freaked out? Okay, let me just ask. How many of you guys feel more comfortable with the terminology, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? Anybody feel comfortable with that language? You're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, or versus you're filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of you guys are more, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, more comfortable language for me? Okay, how many of you guys, I, I feel more comfortable, I'm baptized by the Holy Spirit language. Okay. And the rest of y'all don't care. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, uh, the reason why, because we're going to come back to this again and again, but I'm telling you right now, there's really no, ba- no, no difference, theological and biblical, when you look at it between baptism of the Holy Spirit and filling of the Holy Spirit. The important thing is this. important thing is this. Watch. Who are these people that Jesus says this to? These are people who have been with Jesus for three years. These are people who've seen Jesus up close for three years, okay? These are people who've gotten the best training and education in ethics, in worship, in demon casting, in healing the sick, and in Peter's case, walking on water for a little bit. These are people, anybody done internships? These are people who've been to like the best internship ever, ever, ever given in the world. Internship with Jesus. They've been on supervised field experience. They have experienced all this. And yet Jesus says, what y'all about to do, you can't do. What, you, what you're about to do, you can't do it. 
implications. Two things real quick. One individual, one corporate. If you're serious about doing ministry, not professional, ministry in terms of serving God and being a witness anywhere, you have to experience regularly the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this without the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a witness without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You cannot. What does that mean? Let me just say, just real quickly. There are some of you, you need to stop whatever it is that you're doing right now and get your relationship with God right. Who are you? You've blown past a warning, warning, warning. You got to take care of your soul. Warning, warning. You got to take care of your soul. You've blown past that. And you're just putting your head down. You're going. And I'm telling you right now, nothing good comes out of you and me plowing through spiritual reality checks and just doing stuff. He says, you, not, you must be, you must be endowed. You must be filled. You must experience the spirit of God. Um, I've gone on like three, four sabbaticals in my life as a pastor. And the reason why I've done that, you guys, is that every time there was spiritual warning, like, like Peter, you got to take care of your soul, man. You just, I just blew right past, just kept going until I get fried, burn out, and so on and so forth. And here's the thing. You know what I realize is the worst thing of all that? Is that when you blow past spiritual warning signs and you just do it, it becomes about you and not about God. Your abilities, your talents, your gifts. It becomes, and you know, the, you know the, the terrible thing is, so when people see it, they don't see God, they see you. And God's fame is not spread. God's name is not spread. He doesn't get the glory. They see you. And they say, well, that was a wonderful thing you did instead of that was a wonderful thing God did. They say, well, you're, you're incredibly compassionate instead of saying, God is incredibly compassionate. Just a brief word. If you are somebody that the, the spiritual warning signs have been on, because you know what? God cares more about you than what you can do for him. Really? God cares more about you and your soul than what you can do for him. Secondly, real quick, second, the, 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 the implications for us is this. Somebody said corporately now for our church-wide as a whole, somebody once said that most churches in America, 95% of the ministries will continue without the Holy Spirit even being a part of it. And people will think things are great. This is how silly this gets to me. This morning, we had feedback, you know, in worship time. And I'm standing back there going, oh, there's feedback during worship. People aren't going to be able to encounter God. I do a decent job. I go home, feel good about myself. They must have encountered God. After all, I did a good job. When I do a bad job, I go home and I go, God, I know for a fact that nobody encountered you. We live in a culture where if the video screen is just right, the lighting is just perfect, if the notes are just sung right, well, people experience the Holy Spirit. But otherwise, I said this morning, you know what I'm tempted to do? Do you remember the days of transparencies? <laughs> do you remember those days? What's that yellow stain on there? Oh, that was just, just a bug that we squashed. Forgot to rub it, sorry. My point simply is this. God, help us if we get to a place where we become a church that thinks that because we do things well, technology is cool, we do a good job, that people will encounter God. I said this this morning, you guys, and I'll say it again. The goal of our church is not to be a big church. It's not hard to grow a big church. We live in an entertainment culture. If you provide an entertaining Sunday service, people will come. Here's another way to grow a church. Make it very therapeutic on Sundays. So people come and feel, oh, I'm so glad and I feel good about myself. Our ministry has to be ministry in the Holy Spirit. 
And for any of you guys that are serving in this church, and any of you guys that are doing ministry, any of you doing anything missional, I'm asking you a question. Is it about you, your ability to speak, your ability to counsel, or is it about the ministry of the Holy Spirit working in and through you? Do they see God or do they see you? Okay, let's go on. Ah. I'm going to have to skip verse 6 and 7. I did the same thing this morning. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to come back to that. But let's go on to verse 8, okay? Let's go on to verse 8. And it's not just a ploy because I didn't like study verse 6 and 7, you know? Some people that are here at 9 o'clock are going, you probably didn't study that verse. That's why you just conveniently skipping over. I'm, actually, I'm not. I really wanted to. Because verse 6 and 7 has something to say about the elections. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, little teaser for next week. You ready? Little teaser for next week. <laughs> Verse 6 and 7. Here's the truth. If you're all caught up because Barack Obama's, yes, we can. As a kingdom person, your response actually should be, yes, he can, Jesus, and he will. Amen. If you're a McCain supporter, country first. The same Jesus said, seek ye first what? The kingdom. If your hope is in some political party to bring about change and transformation, man, you are beating a dead horse, man. Change and, only, change and transformation is only possible because a Jewish Messiah walked out of a tomb. Amen. Little teaser for next Sunday. Because <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on both parties and supporters, okay? All right, verse 8, here we go. Hey, it's been a while since we've like read stuff together. Let's read verse 8. Ready? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This right here is the anchoring verse for the entire book. This verse right here lays out for us where we're going to be going for the next, oh, I don't know, the speed I'm going, maybe five years, you know, for the next five years. This verse right here, and I just want to break it down, and I want you to know, I want you to know the insights in this passage that will come, will come back to again and again. So just a brief preview. First of all, notice Jesus says in verse 8, but you, who is you? Us. That you is plural. It's, it's, it's in the south. It's y'all. Okay? It's y'all. It's not you individual. It's y'all. It's everybody. And that actually shouldn't surprise us because Luke has talked about this one very critical time before. In the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus calls the 12 disciples and he empowers them to do everything that he's doing. Then they go out, they come back, and they say, we are doing amazing things, Jesus, in your name. Chapter 9. Luke chapter 10 comes along, and all of a sudden, Jesus some randomly picks 72 people, disciples, and he sends them out to do everything that the apostles did. And they come back and say, woohoo, it's amazing. We're, do we're able to do everything that you did. Why? If we have Luke chapter 9 and no Luke chapter 10, that is Luke chapter 9, the 12 disciples, 12 apostles, who are doing these incredible things, you and I would have a theology that says, oh, it's the seminary students, you know, the professional ministry people. The spiritual elite, the apostles. But Jesus, knowing that, says, let me show you what's in Luke 10. I'm going to send out 72. What's that number? 72. That number 72 in, in the Bible represents everybody. Table the nations in Genesis 10. The number of people from Joseph's family that goes down to Egypt. It represents everybody. What is Jesus saying? This mission is for who? It's y'all. That means that if you are not on mission, you are living the incomplete Christian life. There, I said it. That means if you're not on mission, then you're not living the Christian life. There, I said it. Furthermore, if you are not on mission, I guarantee you, your spiritual life will lack passion, energy, mission, goal, Whatever word you want to use. It's everybody. The amazing thing about the book of Acts, you guys, is when you look at the book of Acts, I'm going to go way up here. When you look at the book of Acts, the word all, A-L-L, -L, appears over and over and over again. It says that Luke intentionally was saying, this is a movement of all, not just some. All 3,000 received the message and were baptized, Acts 2. All the believers were together and held one thing in common, Acts 4. 
And on and on it goes. It was a movement of all. There was no room. And today, there is no room for spectators in this missional movement of God. Are you on board? How are you doing? Do you have a mission that Jesus has given you? Yes, you do. It is to reflect him. Okay, I'm going to flesh this out a little bit more. Where's my Bible? Okay, there it is. Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm getting old. Okay. But you, and then the second part is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And just a quick thought. Why are they receiving power? Why are they receiving this feeling of the Spirit? To pray better? No. To worship louder? No. So you could... Give more generously? No. The primary reason why they are filled with the Spirit is so that they can be better witnesses. I'll just say this one thing. I'll say one thing. If you are somebody that's wanting to experience the living presence of God in your life, the living presence of God, so that you have no doubt of who He is and what He's doing in your life, the best way to experience that is not via religion, is not via discipline. The best way to experience that is find the mission that God has called you and do it. Do it. Because the Holy Spirit loves to empower those who are on mission. The Holy Spirit loves to empower those who are on mission. Third, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the result of that is that you will be my witnesses. Here it is. I've said it 30 different times and I'm going to say it one last time. The whole point of the Christian life, the whole point of the Christian living, the whole point of church existing, the whole point why God has redeemed you, saved you, is so that we would be individually, corporately, people on mission. That's it. Well, what about me and my needs? He takes care of you so that you can be people on mission. So here's a paradigm shifting for us. Mission and witness is not just one aspect of our existence as a church. It's who we are. We exist to be witnesses. We exist to, we don't exist to support missions. We exist to be on a mission. Do you get this? Do you get, we don't have a lot of time. Do you get this? By the way, this is like my favorite like shouting area. So you guys might not want to sit here next time. (laughs) You guys, I hate the fact that when people in our culture think of Christianity, Christians in the church, they just, they just go, it's like we're irrelevant. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're indifferent. Like, I'd rather go, I'm just, I'd rather go either hate us or, lie, you know, this indifference, it just drives me nuts. You know what I love to see? I would love to see a day when a non-Christian says, I will reject God, and they won't use the church as the excuse to anymore. Amen? Wouldn't that be great if people in our culture says, I reject God. Why? Because I learn about who God is and I just don't want to follow him instead of, I reject God. Why? Have you looked at Christians lately? Have you looked at the church lately? I don't know about you, but I actually believe that Jesus Christ can change and transform Chicago upside down. Upside down for him. I know some of y'all are like, there's lots of people here, Peter, like 5 million people. Oh, I know. I know. But if 120 people could be used to turn upside down an entire empire, 4 million people, 5 million people, what's the big whoop? I actually do. But in order for us to do that, one last paradigm shifting statement, you guys. Thank you, Josh. We have been consumed with thinking about how to get people into the church. God has been consumed with how to get the church out into the world. Does that resonate with anybody besides you sitting back there? We got to make this shift. Look, look, we are doing some things because this ministry is important, okay? Like, for example, we're getting rid of all Sunday school classes. Because what I found out is 
people who have non-Christian friends who need to hear the truth of gospel, they're not coming to church on Sundays because the people that were going to bring to church on Sundays, right, were, were, were sitting in Sunday school classes. And I'm going, whatever we need to do to free people up so they can bring their friends that they've been ministering to, you got to go pick up that hungover friend. You got to go pick him up or her. So we're going to free everything up. Here's another thing that we're going to do to do this, okay? Look, we got, mid, we got rid of our evangelism team like two years ago. Because one day I was sitting there going, why do we have an evangelism team in our church? What the heck is that about? Because the message we're sending is, these people over here are the evangelism team. And the rest of the church, it's not your deal. Got rid of it. Get rid of it. We don't need an evangelism team. The entire church is what? Evangelism team. Missions committee. We have this thing called missions committee. I'm tempted to get rid of that too. But we can't because they have a job. And their job, and their job, and their job is this. Listen, listen, their job is not to be the missionary. Their job is to designate financial funds to people who are going overseas, which we need. You know, we need a group of people who are prayerfully dispersing funds. But I'm very tempted, and I need to change that to like, 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 we give money away to people that are wanting to go to missions, ministry, or committee, you know what I mean? So that people know exactly what it is because the reality is we don't want to send any message to anybody in our church saying, you're exempt from the mission of God. Okay, lastly, where? Where? Where are we to be witness for Jesus? Here's, here's where. He says in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the only thing you need to know about that is this. Mission and witness starts not Going overseas, but going across the street. Mission ministry doesn't start in Liberia, but it starts in Logan Square or wherever you live. Don't think mission, homeless ministry, Michael Eagle A Clinic, I got to do these big things. Your mission as witness is what kind of a roommate are you? Are you a jerk? Are you dirty? Are you like insensitive as a roommate? Because if you're doing that, then you're not fulfilling Acts 1-8 to be his witness in Jerusalem. Do you see what I'm saying? What do your coworkers think about you? Again, if I asked them, what is she like? Do you think the list that you came up with would match the list that they would come up with? Because you would go, well, I think I'm pretty kind, pretty gentle, pretty outgoing, compassionate. And the list they would go is an introvert who's stuck on himself and doesn't like people. What do people think about you? How is your witness in Jerusalem? How is your witness in Jerusalem? Before you go across overseas, go across this. Do you know your neighbors? You know the people that you frequent, coffee shops? I make it a point to know the names of people that I buy coffee from and that I eat regularly from. They think I'm freaky. They think I'm a little weird, but that's okay. Because one of the first questions I ask is, what's your name? And most of the people are gracious enough to say if you don't even know the names of your coworkers or the Starbucks or wherever coffee shop you frequent, you're not being a witness in Jerusalem. How are you doing? How am I doing? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaritan. I don't like short-term missions. I'll end with this. And the reason is because it's a lot easier to love people for a week than to love them every day for years. It's a lot easier to love people who love you back and think you're the greatest thing, great thing since sliced bread. It's hard to love people <laughs> frankly don't like you and, and care less. It's the difficult coworker, the neighbor with the temper, and your family member that gets on your nerves that Jesus says, witness. Okay. Let me leave with you an imagery of what it is that you and I are called to do. Here's the imagery. In the first century, when a new emperor and a king arose to the throne, whether it be Claudius or Nero, in order to make effective their new rule and reign, they had these people called heralds or messengers who got on their horses, I guess. That's what they had. And they went through every corner of the empire under which the king's rule and reign came effective. And they literally went, literally went declaring, we have a king! We have a king! We have a king! Nero is on the throne! We have a king! And these messengers, these heralds, right, they went throughout the corners of the empire, as, as far west as Spain, as far north as Britain, as far southeast as Egypt, declaring this message, we have a king, we have a king. Heralds, in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my 
perils in our job go throughout the world declaring we have a king. We have a king. And J.R. Tolkien was a brilliant genius. At the return of the king, all things will be put to rights. Pray with me. (sighs) This morning's worship And the way I wanted to end it, you guys, is it's going to be a bit challenging, but the beginning point to being his heralds, to being his messengers, being his witnesses, the beginning point, you guys, is to acknowledge his kingship in your life and in my life. It's to acknowledge his kingship in your life and in my life, resulting And life attitude that says, God, I give you my all. I surrender my all. My agendas, my goals, my relationships, my priorities, my value system. Everything that I have, God, physically and symbolically, I I kneel before you. I bow down before you, O king. A king who went to the cross for you and saying, God, I give you my all. I give you my all. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is absolutely necessary. And it is the challenge of the Christian life. So as Andy and the worship team leads us in worship, whether it be a loud amen with your life saying, yes, God, I surrender all. Yes, God, I surrender all. Whether it be, God, I want to do this, but I struggle. God, I want to do this, but I struggle. God, I want, regardless of who you are, if that's your prayer, I want you to, as Andy's leading worship, just stand on your feet. Lift your hands out as an act of surrender. Lift your, stretch your hands forth as an act of surrender to this king and saying, God, take my life, all of it, all of it. Take my struggles to give you this. And I want us to respond to this king who comes to us today with this challenge. And Lord, for those of us, for those of us, God, that struggle saying that, for whom our our internal battle every day is saying that and meaning that, I just pray, Lord God, that you would be with us. God, we need you every single second moment of our lives to do this thing that you've called the Christian life. God, we need you. Can I ask you guys as we close, as you're standing, will you just go across the aisle and just join hands with somebody who's standing next to you? Because I just want to offer up a prayer for our church as we embark on this journey. And it may be just symbolic, but I just want us to hold hands, recognizing that we are one, that God has called us into this one body. And God, our prayer is not simply I surrender all, but our prayer also is, God, that we would surrender all. That placed before us would be your kingdom agenda, whatever it is that you call us to. And that we would be people who would not be afraid to radically sacrifice anything and everything you call us to. To follow the missional call of Jesus that's on every single one of us. God, I pray for this church. Send your spirit. Send your spirit. And now, child of God, go forth in the power of his spirit, knowing that he who lives in you lives to make alive the truth of the gospel in your life every day. You can go forth in courage, knowing 
that the one who created you, saved you and redeemed you, calls you his child and calls you his own. So go forth and speak truth in love. Be bold and yet be gentle. Be courageous and yet be patient and kind. Be Jesus to a watching world that desperately needs to see the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out before them. That is you. That is me. That is us. He has given us all that we need. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Have a great week, you guys. Those of you that are members and those of you that gave to the building fund. We have a members meeting tonight to discuss the future of the campaign. It's in your bulletin. See you there at 7 o'clock at the church offices.